This week on Telescope, we're focusing on education, on how COVID changed at the spring, and what it might look like going forward. Today's episode focuses on high school. For most people, high school is more than just a place to go to classes and hang out with friends. For many students, it's where they get the basics, meals, computers, Wi-Fi, a school nurse when you're feeling sick. Since high school shut down in March, all that access has disappeared. There was still a version of high school available, though, virtual school. But it wasn't necessarily working, at least not for everyone. I remember reading an article in the LA Times a few weeks after schools closed in March that 15,000 public high school students in Los Angeles just weren't logging in to virtual school, weren't doing any of their work, weren't showing up. Stories like that made me wonder why it was happening and also what it would mean for all those students, especially if school is still online in the fall. And some research has suggested that students have already lost the equivalent of a full year's worth of academic gains. This is, like so much these days, a full-blown crisis. But it may also be an opportunity of sorts, a chance to take a hard look at our education system, figure out what really matters when it comes to what we teach the next generation. We just have to figure out how to survive until it's safe to go back. This is not a time to sleep well when you're an educator, and especially if you're a Black educator, it's not a time where you sleep well. From Neon Hum Media, this is Telescope. I'm your host, Jonathan Hirsch. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for the foreseeable future, we're going to bring you stories of people who are far away, up close, and how each of us are learning to live through this moment. Our producer, Haley Fager, has the story. Jessica Matthews is a high school English teacher in Flint, Michigan. It's where she grew up. I went back home. I teach at Carmen Ainsworth High School. I graduated there in 1995. I first became a teacher because I went through K-12 through uh, without a teacher that looked like me. She's really known for being basically the Black teacher. Ronnie Pompey Jr. is one of Jessica's seniors this year. We call her Miss Matthews, but I usually just call her mom. She's really my school mom. Jessica wanted to give Black students like Ronnie the Black teacher she didn't have. I never had it, and, and it always bothered me as a kid. And I always was like, well, you know, when I decided to go into education, I'm like, well, I need to be the change that I wish I could have seen. When Jessica went to Carmen Ainsworth, she says Black students like her made up about 10% of the school. Today, she says that number is closer to 70%. But Jessica is still just one of four Black teachers at a school with around 1,300 students. Black students who have a Black teacher by third grade are more likely to graduate high school and enroll in college. That's according to the National Bureau of Economic Research. It matters to be taught by someone who looks like you, who succeeded in school, and who believes you can too. Jessica has updated the curriculum to better serve her students. When I first was in teaching, you were told, you know, stick to the classics. Uh, you know, we must read old, dead white male books. 
And I started to realize my students need to read stories that connect to their life. She's also redesigned her classroom with her students in mind. She's kept some of the standard issue desks, but added a couch, some bean bags, and yoga mats, and some bouncy ball yoga chairs. Those are Ronnie's favorite. I just love to bounce while learning, just to keep me occupied. I almost failed a couple of times, but she never saw it, so I got away with it. And I told kids every time they came in, this is a unique space because you're unique. Um, flexible seating was an awesome thing to add in because there's an assumption that all kids, when they go home, have a home that has couches and comfortable things to sit in, you know, and to relax in. And um, and that that's not true for a number of kids. And so why can't I, for an hour each day, give them a comfortable environment? It just felt like home whenever I walked into Miss Matthews' class. It was just saying that you're in a safe space now. The walls of her classroom are covered with black leaders. When you walk in, it's a space where you know, like, you're coming in to fight the power. I have inspirational quotes. I have uh, one by Martin Luther King, one by Malcolm X, uh, one by John Lewis. And also, she has this big picture of Channing Tatum, which is hilarious because that is her celebrity crush. Everybody has the MLK poster, but not everybody has that Channing Tatum. Her classroom is a place where students can be themselves, a small space designed for their success in a world that isn't. There's a lot of things out in this world that are so dangerous and want to destroy them. And it's really out of my hands once they walk out that door. And that's really scary. I like going to school just because it's the time that I got to be with my friends and also to learn. So I could, it was a win-win situation. I could have fun with my friends and my teachers. Ronnie's pretty popular at school. There's always a lot of laughing around him. But he's not a class clown. He just genuinely doesn't like to see his friends feeling down. I would just come up, make a funny face and just get them to at least crack a smile. Sometimes I would just come up and tickle them. Senior year was supposed to be filled with stuff like that. Just carefree fun. I was excited for all the last year dances, homecoming and prom. We all have plans to go to prom together. We were probably going to get a party bus and ride down there. But those rituals, of course, were all canceled because of COVID. Ronnie did get to play his last year of high school football, though. He's been playing since he was a kid, idolizing his older cousins. I saw them grow up and play football, so I wanted to be a part of it, and that's where my love started to grow for it. That's why it's just, football is so close to my heart. Ronnie's a talented athlete. He was getting recruited by colleges and ended the season with 11 offers. He wanted to visit all of the campuses before making his decision. I just wanted to go up there and get a feel for the college and the academic standpoint. But then, as COVID started spreading across the country, schools were closing. Jessica says that March 12th, the day before everything shut down, was one of her worst as a teacher. It was a different kind of panic in the space, um, especially with no answers. 
And so, you know, you're having these conversations. I remember very clearly with my third hour, my seniors were just like, well, what if we're gone for weeks? Well, I don't know. Pretty quickly, Jessica realized she wouldn't be able to return to her classroom for the rest of the year. So she had to figure out how to move online and how to help her students cope. And I think that the last couple months have been teachers just constantly saying to themselves, what do I do? Because <laughs> we don't know. Even when you get direction, it's like, okay, you guys need to give them assignments. Okay, what do I do? I can't give them something they've done before, but I can't give them something brand new because I'm not there to guide them. One issue Jessica saw right away, not enough computers at home. They had an opportunity for kids to get a Chromebook, but you can only have one per household. So if you have three kids in the household, how, how does that work? On top of that, a lot of her students work in grocery stores, restaurants, all the businesses that were in emergency mode trying to keep shelves stocked and kitchens running, even in a pandemic. So if my student is being called in to work or they have to work because they help pay bills for their home, who am I to be like, but what about my assignment? Of course, Jessica was worried about her kids falling behind. But the threat of COVID seemed so much bigger than that. In early May, Michigan had the highest fatality rate of any U.S. state. And African-Americans were facing the worst of it. Black people made up about 40% of deaths in Michigan, even though they're only 14% of the population. Jessica had no idea how to teach through that. What was the point of giving homework? I can't give them something that's going to be an extra stressor in their life because some of these kids literally are dealing with COVID sickness and death in their homes. What do I do? I don't know how many times I said to myself, what do I do? I don't sleep well. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I don't sleep well. This is not a time to sleep well when you're an educator and especially if you're a black educator, it's, it's, not, it's not a time where you sleep well. She's up all night worrying about her students. Students like Ronnie. Ronnie was sheltering in place with his mom and his older sister. He was still trying to figure out how school would even work. And then his boss at Taco Bell moved him to the overnight shift. I had to drink coffee pretty much every night. We had to wear masks every night. And being on that hot grill... With the mask on, it made it so hard to breathe just because the heat would mess with everything. You would sweat. And then we would deal with just mean customers even coming through at 3 a.m. I worked pretty much from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. So I got home at around 5.15, 5.30. And then when I came home, I had to do homework. And the classes were already set for the meetings to be at around 11 a.m., noon, 1 o'clock. So I was still either going to sleep for the first time or already sleep. Every day felt like it just ran together. Certain classes were just harder to do remotely. I was taking physics and calculus. Ronnie says he learns better in person. So researching math equations online, that was a challenge. So it took a lot of time and a lot of patience just to do that. And my calculus assignments were pretty much for a week. He got it done. But the joy of school was gone. He wasn't cracking jokes with his friends or getting to spend time in his safe space, Miss Matthews' classroom. 
This time, it was about surviving until things got back to normal. But about a week after school closed in March, Ronnie got some terrible news. Two uncles and his cousin were all sick with COVID. It hit them hard. My uncle, Freddie Brown Jr., passed first. He passed at 3 a.m. on March 26th. And then my uncle, Kevin Jones, passed around 11 a.m. I believe we got the call at 2 p.m. Yes, we got the call at 2 p.m. the same day. His cousin, Freddie Brown III, was still in the hospital. They had said that he was okay, like two days before he passed. They had said he was okay, he was doing better, he's breathing better, he was smiling and everything, laughing. And then the next day, God took him away. It took a turn for the worse. And then on March 29th, at around 11 p.m., is when we got the call for my cousin, who was only 20 years old. And that was the one that really hurt me. His cousin, Freddie, was one of the people who got Ronnie into football. Ronnie looked up to him. They were best friends. Me and him had the same personality. We were always laughing. So really, we would just talk about sports, talk about all the celebrities and everything. Basically, we would just gossip. And he had plans to go to MSU this year and walk on for on a football scholarship. How was it that he would play college football and his cousin never would? It was hard for Ronnie to keep going to work after that. So I would break down and go to the bathroom and try to fix myself up. But it was difficult. And then it, what made it very difficult was when my coworkers would talk about COVID-19. Some of them were saying, oh, I think this is fake. This is fake news and stuff like that. I just couldn't say anything just because I knew if I spoke up about it, I would just start crying and then there would be nothing that I could do. Through all of this, Ronnie was still turning in assignments for school. And I I don't know how he did it. I, I mean, if anyone had an excuse to write me and be like, you know what, I'm just going to take my grade where it was and leave it there and walk away, it could have been Ronnie. Jessica remembers opening her computer and checking to see who had submitted on time. And uh, looking at the first deadline and I look and there's Ronnie's assignment. I'm like, how in the world is this child <laughs> still doing his work with all this going on. I looked at him and and he had a very solid plan of what he wanted to do. The assignment was for a class Jessica created a few years ago called Activism and Inquiry. She teaches students how to research and then encourages them to advocate for a cause they care about. So the point is to arm yourself with facts. You're not here to argue with people because some people are just not going to change their minds. But I'm like, but you are absolutely there to inform them. So when they come at you, you should be able to have things to push back some. To help make the lesson real, Jessica started Activism Day. I should say here, this is the kind of thing Jessica does. Creates new events out of whole cloth to make space for her students to learn and be celebrated. Changing the curriculum because it needs changing. And while she's doing this, as Ronnie put it, she still manages to be a school mom for so many of her students. 
And people have noticed. Jessica has been recognized nationally and by the state of Michigan for her work. This is all to say, Jessica going above and beyond, creating this event, it is unusual, just not for her. Okay, back to Activism Day. It's this annual all-school assembly. Where kids get to stand up in the community and officially call themselves an activist because they're speaking, they've done the research, they're not necessarily persuading people, they're educating people. Before Activism Day was a thing, students used to struggle to finish their final research assignments. So when I noticed the struggle of getting giant research papers done versus maybe one kid not having their work for Activism Day out of, you know, 75, 80, that's amazing. The engagement of giving kids choice and the engagement of saying, I will teach you how to be the right kind of researcher, it was a game changer. The in-person event was canceled this year because of COVID, but students could still turn in a final project. Ronnie decided to make a podcast. And I did it on Black male depression and the way that Black males are raised and how whenever we're depressed, there's no way for us to actually show it. He knew this all too well. Ronnie was depressed last year and for a while resisted going to therapy. I was scared of therapy just because I've always heard the stereotype that therapists are middle-aged white women and that can't really relate to the black community all that well. He tried it out anyway. But when I walked in, it was an older black man that actually grew up in Flint and has been through some of the problems. So it was really comforting just to see that, and it's really comforting every time I go up there and talk to him, just because he can relate to everything I'm going through. He could see the point now. It had really helped him, so he wanted to spread the word. I wanted to be one of the ones to actually let people know and even let the younger generations know that it's okay to talk about your depression. Here's Ronnie on his podcast. Why is it that therapy is frowned on in a Black community and that you're brought up as Black people don't need therapy? And when you go to get your hair done, that's your therapy. You're talking to the people in the salon and the barbershop. It felt empowering just because I was able to actually use my voice. Many of Jessica's students feel the same way. Recently, some have even been organizing protest marches on their own against systemic oppression and police violence. I had more than one kid who was like, well, you got us trained for it and now we're doing it. I'm like, yep, you are. That's that's the best compliment you can get as a teacher for me. Working through COVID, it's reinforced Jessica's instinct to teach her students to learn through doing and to advocate for what they believe in. It's also reinforced what she already knew about our school system. Schools were designed for white middle class. Um, So why are we still doing a system that is designed just for one specific group? And most teachers will tell you that. Like, we need some different ideas and some different concepts, but um, those people who are higher up are not necessarily wanting to change that system. For Jessica, change means hiring and inspiring more teachers of color, allowing students to do internships for class credit, And it definitely means diversifying the curriculum. She says that right now, classes that aren't about white European history 
our electives. If there's a time we can change things up, the time is now. There's so much that needs to happen. This pandemic might offer an opportunity. But for right now, she's thinking about the summer. And about herself for once. Everyone needs to be focusing on self-care. I I definitely am. I'm spending the next probably two weeks just um, getting myself where maybe calming my nerves so I can sleep better, right? And uh, just looking for some clarity, doing some reading, doing some writing, and just being me for a little bit, not teacher me, um, just me, and uh, then figuring out where to go forward. I think if you don't do self-care, then you become destructive. And so same thing with kids. I tell them, yeah, do some self-care for me, and then if you need me, you know where to find me. Ronnie will be at Olivet College playing football next year. It's in Michigan, about an hour from Flint. He'd been to the campus before COVID hit. I believe I visited them, I think it was two weeks before uh, everything shut down, too. So that was a blessing from God just to go up there at least once. He says it felt like a good fit. The team made me feel at home whenever I talked to them, not even the coaching staff, just the actual team and players. Ronnie didn't get the chance to tell his uncles, Cavalin and Freddie, and his cousin Freddie, where he decided to go to school. One of our last conversations was the group of us four just being in the car, talking about wherever you go to college, that we're going to be at the first game. When everything opens back up, I do want to get a tattoo dedicated for them. So I would always have them on the field with me. I want to have them on me no matter what. But walking onto that field, I probably will break down. It's not even a probably to it. I will break down just because it's going to be my first time without them. Thanks to Ronnie and Jessica for sharing their stories. Every week we receive emails, messages on Twitter, voicemails from you, our listeners, telling us what your lives are like and what you're going through. Dr. Winnie Tudeberg is a palliative care physician at Stanford School of Medicine. Her job is to improve quality of life for patients living with serious or life-threatening illnesses. Once COVID hit, everyone in the hospital had to start wearing masks. She found it became harder to connect with patients while wearing one. All my camaraderie with my colleagues and my connection with my patients wasn't there anymore because of the masking and the lack of family and all the social distancing. So she tried something new. She pinned a picture of her face to her coat. It's part of an initiative called the PPE Portrait Project. And she saw the difference it made. There was one patient I actually remember quite clearly because she'd had surgery. She had cancer of her voice box and it had her voice box removed so she couldn't speak. So she communicated by writing on a pad of paper. And I walked in and her face lit up and she pointed to my picture and she got out her notepad. She wrote, I love being able to see your face. And just this huge, warm smile on her face. Thanks, Dr. Tudeberg, for sharing your story. Telescope is made possible by the world-class team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. John Asante is the managing producer of Telescope. This episode was reported and produced by Haley Fager. 
It was edited by Vikram Patel and Catherine St. Louis. Our engineer is Mark Bush. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you hear in this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. You can also join our Facebook group by searching for Telescope. If you like this show, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We want to stay connected with you during this unprecedented time in our history, so don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are always open. If you have a story about how you're battling the two viruses right now, racism and coronavirus, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Thank you, and we'll see you on Friday.